I really, in that moment, realized that I did not have the luxury of my youth. And Mm. that was just an unfortunate part of my reality. And I needed to have long-term perspective. I needed to be forward-thinking if I didn't want to suffer the same fate as my mother. And then I realized it wasn't just my mother. It was my grandmother. It was my great aunt. It was the sad legacy in my family of women losing their lives to breast cancer. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet, over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode here on the podcast. I am always so grateful that you click play, that you share these episodes, that you send me DMs and let me know what stands out for you. As I'm recording this intro, I am stuffed up with another cold that is going through our house. I don't know about you, but this season has been really difficult on all of us. We have had quite a round of illnesses that sometimes it just feels like again. And so when the kindergarten class gets sick and my daughter brings it home and then we all get it. And I think one of the most important things is just reminding ourselves that here we are taking it day by day and that things change over time. And I'm also reminding myself that in this season where we are not at our best, we're not 100% that it is okay to not do it all. So I'm not sure where you are at right now, but if you need that reminder, just offer yourself a little bit of compassion for how much you are doing, for how much is on your plate and all that you are holding right now. When it comes to offering compassion to myself, I tend to put my hand on my heart and just take a moment to acknowledge that I am not the only person in this space struggling in this hard moment that others experience this too. And really just bringing on kindness to myself in a way that I would to my children. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest to you. She is someone that is really making an impact around the conversation of breast health, fertility, and taking back our power. Today, I am sitting with Alan Rose. She is a breast cancer advocate, professional speaker, on-air host, legal, and political scholar. As a 24-year-old Miss America contestant, Alan made headlines across the globe with her controversial decision to undergo a prophylactic double mastectomy after losing her mother, grandmother, and great-aunt to breast cancer. Alan was featured on Good Morning America, Fox & Friends, E! News, Today Show, Katie Couric, Inside Edition, and People Magazine, Cosmopolitan, and was a Fox Power Player of the Week, as well as awarded the 21st Annual Congress on Women's Health. Women's Health Advocacy Award. 
Alan gave a TEDx talk at Chapman University and continues to work as an advocate and contributor on several national media outlets, sharing a message of hope and the importance of putting life before vanity. She was selected as a Sports Illustrated Swim Search finalist and was the first woman with a mastectomy to model for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. She lives with her husband, daughter, and beloved Frenchie in Germany. Let's go into today's episode. Alan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm truly grateful for you to take this time with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to chat today. I love to start just parachuting into my guests' lives with this kind of tricky question, which is tell us three things that make you, you. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, It always is. I think top of mind right now, I'm a new mom, and uh, that is a really life-altering position to come into. And I feel like it's it's really consumed me over the last year and a half that my daughter has been here. But I know that it's something, obviously, I will be a mom until the day that I die. And my mother was such an important part of my life. And so that's become really, you know, part of my identity. I think the next one would be a close amount of my identity to sharing my life's trials. And I think that's something that's unique to me. I've always felt very comfortable sharing really intimate experiences of my life, Um, you know, navigating breast cancer, um, having all of these different experiences, going through the IVF process and really sharing that online and sort of providing a platform for other women to come in and share their experiences as well. Number three, I would say, you know, I'm bit of a walking contradiction. You know, people tend to look, you know, at your bio and, you know, they've seen my past. I've competed in beauty pageants. You know, I worked as a model doing all of these things. But what a lot of people don't know too is I played guitar in a punk rock band. You know, I grew up never thinking that I could ever do things like this. And and it wasn't until I got to a point in my life where I realized that the only person that was getting in my way was me. The world was my oyster and I just had to be bold and go out and try. And I think that's been a very identifying factor for me in my life is is getting past that point and just being bold, getting out there, you know, trying new things and seeing where it takes me. You truly do that in the work that you've done. You, You show up sharing your life trials. And also, I think it's so important that we can recognize it's that kind of cliche comment of we're our own worst enemies sometimes, right? We... Absolutely. So much time in our minds and our thoughts and feelings and just having these ongoing debates when really what we can do is just take those actions. They're hard actions and hard steps, but really tapping into what's meaningful. And that's something that strikes me from connecting with you so far, especially on social media, seeing how much you vulnerably share and open conversations about things that people often don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing about. Yeah, it's been it's been a very um, unique journey to get to where I am today. But when I look back on my life and the things that I've done, I I find a sense of real pride in being able to to share these experiences and trials and tribulations. And it's it's been such an incredibly humbling and rewarding experience because when you put yourself out there like that, of course mm. you're vulnerable. But the the amount of positivity and the messages that you get back and realizing that, you know, even if you're making a microscopic difference in the lives of some person that you don't even know on the internet, it's worth it. It's worth it. And you've been doing that by being such a huge advocate for preventative measures against breast cancer. Would you mind sharing some of your personal story as to why you began this work? 
Absolutely. So my journey really starts with my mom, and I always try to incorporate her in the experience. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time in her 20s, and this was gosh, 40, 45 years ago. So reconstruction and all of the options that women have now, Mm. they just weren't available to to my mother. And so she spent most of her life with one breast. I knew my mom from the day I was born with one breast and it was just really part of her identity and cancer was always part of the conversation. She was never shy talking about it. Unfortunately, my mother had a reoccurrence in the remaining breast. She passed away when I was 16. And As you can imagine, being a 16-year-old coming into my femininity and my womanhood, this was a really incredibly challenging experience. And um, just losing your mom at any age is tough. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my my dad sat me down a couple of years after my mom passed away and, and brought up the idea of having a preventative mastectomy, which I didn't even know existed at the time. And I was a late bloomer. I was the girl that no one sat next to at the lunch table in high school. And so finally, um, you know, having my body become a woman, I looked at him like, are you crazy? I'm not getting rid of my breasts. You're nuts. And my dad looked at me straight in the face and he said, you're going to end up dead like your mom. And it always gives me a little bit of chills when I say, you know, I've said it a hundred times, but um, I really, in that moment, realized that I did not have the luxury of my youth. And Mm. that was just an unfortunate part of my reality. And I needed to have long-term perspective. I needed to be forward-thinking if I didn't want to suffer the same fate as my mother. And then I realized it wasn't just my mother. It was my grandmother. It was my great aunt. It was the sad legacy in my family of women losing their lives to breast cancer and losing them very young. So... I said, okay, uh, someday I'll do it. And just sort of put that in the, the back burner um, of someday. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing 
sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. You're touching on something so important, though, when we talk about femininity and growing into being a woman, which is how we identify as a woman, how society often identifies women, which is your breasts. And it's, I mean, gosh, I can think of all of those years of who got them first in class and who was wearing (laughs) the bra. And then, right, if you're a breast person or there's just so much attached to that. Mm -hmm. Um, that we lose perspective of the other parts of who we are. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, being somebody who was not gifted in that aspect of life, finally start to, to have a feminine body, start to feel, you know, beautiful, start to realize that people were noticing me in a way that they didn't before. And then having to willingly give that up to put my vanity aside, my, my hope at feeling complete and beautiful and whole to get rid of a cancer that didn't exist yet was a very hard position to get into mentally and to do that in your early 20s. And at the time, my early 20s, I I competed in the Miss America pageant, I competed in this USA pageant. And so, so much of my identity was tied into the way that I looked at that point. And I never thought in, in my head, oh, I'm not that kind of person, I'm not superficial. But you realize the way that you look and how you present yourself to the world it matters. It it just does. And we're naive to say that it doesn't. And so making that really difficult decision, hey, this is something that I need to do to prolong my life. You know, it, it was tough. And it took me really a couple of years to get to the point where I said, okay, you know, it's time to make that really difficult decision and move forward. And, you know, for anybody, that would be an incredibly difficult decision to move forward in that. You're saying just how much this was part of your identity. I'm always careful. It's not the self-worth piece. It's not what makes you worthy, right? But it's the part of when you look in the mirror and you see yourself in a certain way, and then the next day you've changed that. It's an incredibly hard decision. Yeah. And I remember very vividly after I underwent my surgery, I was 26. Um, I wasn't married. I didn't have any children, you know, sort of in the same situation that my mother had been in her late 20s, having this unilateral mastectomy, knowing she was going to spend the rest of her life with one breast. And when I woke up from surgery, I had no breasts, uh, the sunken in chest, I had tubes coming out of both sides of my body. And I just thought, oh my God, what have I done? And Mm -hmm. my mother told me that the really challenging part was just sort of looking in the mirror and thinking to herself, you know, what, what man is ever going to love me like this? 
how am I ever going to get married someday? You know, it, will I have children? You know, all these really difficult decisions. And it's almost like I had become that physical representation of those same struggles that my mother had gone through. But I was really fortunate. The man that I was dating at the time is now my husband. He's the father of my little girl and just walked with me the whole process and said, you know, I don't care about what you look like. The goal is for you to be around for the next 60, 70 years. And we're in this together. And so I feel very, very fortunate to have such a loving and supportive partner because I know there are so many women out there and I hear it and read it all the time who lose their partners when battling breast cancer, undergoing mastectomy, you know, all of these things. And they just don't have that family support, friend support, and it's devastating. That support, the secure base is so important in going through something life-changing, right? That it's such an important piece just to have your partner walk with you every step of the way. I'm curious how your own fears and maybe even history affected your choice to become a mom. Yeah, absolutely. A big part of this whole advocacy is really, uh, for me, knowing my family history, understanding the biology behind it and taking these preventive steps. And what I realized along the way is not only was I at high risk of breast cancer, but I also carried a really rare genetic disease that could potentially affect my future children. It was an X-linked chromosomal disease. And so I said, okay, well, not only do I have to remove my breasts, but now if I want to guarantee that I have healthy children, I have to undergo IVF. I have to do genetic testing on my embryos. I'm not only losing having my natural body, but now I have to lose and mourn the idea of having children naturally and go through this very scientific, sterile process. There's no romance to it. It's incredibly expensive, all the different things that go along with it. But I knew that it was the most important thing to me to do everything that I could to guarantee that my future children were healthy. And if that meant, you know, pumping myself full of hormones, going through the IVF process, you know, liquidating my bank account, it was worth it. And so, you know, I was very, very lucky. I ended up having my daughter on my first try, my first transfer, and she's going to be two years in April. And it just has flown by and we're actually trying for number two in a couple of weeks. And so it's a very, very exciting time. And I'm knocking on wood here, hoping that we bring home another little baby. You had shared recently, actually, on your Instagram space, the process of what you're having to go through right now, Mm -hmm. because it's different in the US for you. Yeah, so I am originally from the U.S. and from the D.C. area, but I live in Germany with my husband now. He's German. And so it's kind of crazy. People always ask me, why aren't you doing the procedure there in Germany? You know, it's free for the most part. It's covered by insurance. But it's interesting. In most of Europe, it is illegal to do testing on your embryos which I can understand from a moral and ethical dilemma of Mm -hmm. choosing the best embryo, of course. But for someone like me who carries a genetic mutation, it's a very, very important option that women have in order to not pass on these genetic legacies, which could kill your children. So for me, I just said, hey, even if I have to travel 8,000 miles to do this procedure, it's, it's worth it. So... It's a lot of back and forth, but been lucky so far. 
When I'm sitting across from you, and people who are listening will be able to, to see this, but I just want to reflect. I'm sitting across from someone who I sense really taps into what's meaningful to you. I know for so many of us, we get stuck in all of the barriers and the hard things and the risks and the what ifs. And when I'm sitting with you, I just see someone who has said, I am going to live life to the fullest and I'm going to do the hard thing and make sure I do what's truly meaningful to me. And that's really hard for people to sometimes, as you said earlier, get out of your own way. I would be remiss if I didn't say, I think some of it is just wild naivete. (laughs) At some points I just say, okay, I'm going to blindly just go in and, and do it. But I do think that a lot of my sense of personal efficacy and my belief that I can accomplish things in my life comes from my mother and and from my father, where I was really just raised in a household where the sky was the limit. And, you know, like I had mentioned before, I wasn't the high school prom queen or any of these things, but, you know, in my mind, I said, Hey, you know, if I want to compete in Miss USA someday, if I work really hard, I can do it. If I want to get a law degree, if I work really hard, I can do it. If I want to, you know, share my life on the internet, it might be tough, but you know, mm-hmm. you just put your head down and you do it. And sometimes I think it's, you know, I take a look back. I'm like, oh God, what have I done with, you know, really sharing these very, very intimate details. But like I had mentioned it, you get these messages from other women and other people on the internet and it just makes it all worth it. Like the other day, I I got a message from a woman who carries the breast cancer gene mutation. And she said to me, I had given up on the idea of having children because I know that there's a 50% chance that I could pass this on. And I didn't know that IVF with genetic testing was a possibility. And you have just opened up an entire different world for me and I can be a mom now. And it just gave me full body chills. You know, I'm (laughs) hyper emotional and crying and you just don't know the power of your voice until you put it out there. And, you know, I have this really unique opportunity to speak to my generation about my experiences. And they're very, very small, you know, little experience, but I'm grateful that they've, they've touched other people. And there's so many other women out there sharing their experiences and they help me have the Mm -hmm. courage to do it as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you experience any criticism from people for your choice to do the genetic testing in terms of moving forward with IVF? With IVF, no. I've actually really only had positive experiences, but deciding to go through my mastectomy, I had a lot of people reach out to me, you know, men, women from people all over the world, because I had this big viral media moment where the story just went everywhere. And I mean, people wrote my dad hate mail. They told me that I was mutilating my body. The Westboro Baptist Church, those crazies were constantly tweeting at me, telling me that I was going to get cancer for all these, you know, not so things. So it's wild that people feel so personally invested in your personal healthcare decisions. But yeah, that was that was an interesting thing to navigate. But I always said, if if the Westboro Baptist Church is attacking you, you're probably doing the right thing. Mm, I could just imagine just how difficult that would be, right? You're you're already going through something difficult. And then to have all of this come forward and also to send messages to your dad and here you are saying, I want to live and live a long life and invite children into my world and experience that. And this is what I have to do to get there. I'm so sorry. I mean, I think it's it's part of the territory. And I, I realized that early on, you know, you put yourself out in the public eye and there's always going to be some computer chair warrior looking right. to say something. And 
same things no one would ever say to your face. They're very, very comfortable doing behind a keyboard. Yes, yes, which happens a lot. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. I'm curious, Alan, you know, knowing just how difficult fertility is for couples entering into parenthood, I'm wondering about you and your husband. How did things go? How did IVF rather affect your relationship and that process go for you too. We talk about our process in motherhood. We talk about the the willingness to share just how overstimulated we are or Mm -hmm. the common expression of mom rage and how it's so hard to do the everyday, but we rarely show the relationship moments and talk about just how hard these journeys are. Yeah. I mean, I would say motherhood in general has drastically changed my, you know, obviously my identity, but my relationship with my husband, it's been very, you know, challenging. I think like all couples experience having to go from two to three and realize that your life is no longer your own. Your time is no longer your own. There's, I think a lot of people can relate to the idea of this. You're sort of making mental lists of who's doing what. And it becomes this, you know, a bit of a battle sometimes where, well, I just did the dishes, but well, I just took care of the kid for the last 10 minutes and, you know, kind of bickering. And it's easy to fall into that trap of, you know, negativity and you're both sleep deprived, you know, really it's a perfect storm to have, you know, these sort of issues. But I think in a relationship, you just have to communicate, communicate, communicate and come back to why you love each other, why you picked each other. IVF was particularly interesting experience because it's not like you have a glass of wine on a Friday night and oops, you know, somebody's pregnant. It's this very deliberate, very intentional experience where as a couple, you have to sit down and you pick a day that your life is going to change. And you also both have to be on the same page of, like I mentioned earlier, the the romance and the excitement and the, you know, the natural experience of of getting pregnant 
is gone. It's out the window. And you mourn that a bit because everyone thinks about, you know, how you're going to bring a baby into the world. You know, people are always making, you know, jokes about, oh, well, you know, there's the kid that must've been fun to make her, you know, these sort of things. And that wasn't our experience. And so I had to realize that it was as much a loss for my husband as it was for me and give him grace to come around to the idea that this was going to be a different process than what he had imagined as well. Mm. It's including both there. It's it's not just you going through this process. It's also the grief that he feels and him being right. involved in that as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. I often hear women talking about the mental load that comes with fertility and the the decisions, the contacting mm-hmm clinics, the navigating appointments, and that can often create tension between partners rather than feeling more like we're collaborative, being a team, making these decisions together, or as you said, having those conversations ahead of time. It's so important. And yet we miss that collaborative piece together, right? Right. One, I think it's like any other really difficult decision that you make in your relationship, or it's these sort of check-in points. Mm. You know, I always thought, it's crazy to me that couples will get married when they don't sit down and talk about where their finances are. You know, they, they aren't intentional about, Hey, here's where I am. Here's where you are. Where do we find these touch points with the fertility conversation? It really has to be like that. And for the woman, of course, she's doing the heavy lifting, you know, she's getting the injection, she's going through the process, always telling my husband, I'm just, you know, I'm being probed here, being probed there. But if you, if you bring your partner along for the journey, I think they can really be an integral part of the experience. And for my husband, he found ways to you know do some of that heavy lifting, so to speak. You know, there's really tough injections that you do, and he would do those ones for me. When I had to travel over to do the you know, retrieval process. He couldn't be there, but he would call me every time I had an injection and give me a three, two, one countdown. And so he was still part of the process and it it helped me from feeling alone while I was going through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you have a team with you, right? He's with you, you're side by side. I think that's so important. Really great husband. I'm very, very lucky. (laughs) What, What do you think he did that you wish maybe other partners knew? Sometimes we go into the the process of becoming parents and having children and trying without being as intentional about it as we should and really sitting and talking about how how your life is going to change if you want your life to change in those ways and I think for a lot of people it's just oh well I always imagined having children and and we just do it but becoming parents I mean wow, is it just a punch in the gut sometimes? And you think, oh gosh, like this, it's just hard. It's really, really hard. It's exhausting. It's, you know, the most fulfilling thing, of course, that you'll do as well, but it is tough. It changes everything. But I think if you, if you sat down prior to doing it, have those really intentional conversations, really be self-reflective. I think it, it helps you because you know, hey, I made this decision and we made this together and we're in this for the long haul. And my husband's really, really great at at doing that. And I think sometimes forcing me to have the long-term perspective in these difficult decisions as well, because for me, I've got all the other things thinking like, oh, I'm getting older, the clock is ticking. You know, I've always imagined myself the nuclear family, parents, two kids, the dog, the house. And he said to me the other day, 
because sometimes I feel like you're living in the past and you're living in the future, but you're not experiencing the now. You're not experiencing mm. motherhood and our marriage and everything exactly where it is. And man, was that a punch in the gut? And I'm feeling it, it right rang. now. It's like, yeah, it whoa. just rang so true because sometimes it's just, you're so exhausted. You're waiting for nap time. You're waiting for bedtime. You're, you're just barely getting through the day. And then also on the other hand, feeling guilty that you're not experiencing your children. And then if you're a mom, you know, in your working mom thinking, what's happening to my kid in daycare? Am I spending enough time with them? Is my career more valuable than spending all day with my kid? Could I possibly spend all day with my kid? All of these different things. And like you talk about the mental load, it's just inner conversations that you never would have imagined that you'd be having that are just every day wearing on you. And I think that's particularly unique to women. And it's hard for our partners to, to really, truly empathize with that experience. With my first, I would often sit through the thoughts of, would we just get to the next stage? This will be easier mm -hmm. next stage. Mm -hmm. And I used to live a lot for the next stage. So it, yes, day to day, it was the nap, but then I'd also think the next stage and then I'll be able to in the next stage. And then I remember at night I'd go to sleep and I'd always ask myself, did I love hard enough today? Did I love him enough? Did I show him my love? Was I present enough? It was always this enough piece that came up. And it it is such a oh, hard thing. Making me choke back tears here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But but it is that that really hard piece. And I think when I go into that space, it's a good reminder to come back to the present. Mm -hmm. No matter if that present moment is a hard moment and be in that and trusting hard moments go, they come and go, or, or if it's that, you know, that moment of just sheer laughter and, or food all over the floor or whatever <laughs> that looks like, right? I haven't figured it out yet, Alan, in terms of balancing this, what it looks like to be a professional woman working and not doing pickups every day with the kids and them saying, are you working today? No, mommy doesn't work on Sundays. That's her day of rest. And right. Mm -hmm. So hearing their narratives, but then also them seeing me thrive. I mean, they know I'm writing a book. So they they've asked about where's the book, it's actually going to be published. And like you can <laughs> see their joy come out from that and seeing what it means to be a woman and a mother. It's, it's powerful, as long as we don't get swept away with do I love enough? Do I love hard enough? Yeah, absolutely. And I was really fortunate. My mom um, left me all of her journals when she passed away and, you know, I've made my way through them over the years. Some of it's, you know, a little too difficult for me to read, but, um, you know, whenever I'm having those, those moments of just feeling overwhelmed, I think of this one line where she, she talked about getting her diagnosis, really getting to the late stages of her cancer and knowing that she was going to have to leave her most precious job of raising her kids unfinished. She left me, you know, a final note and just what, what it would feel like as a mom to have to leave all of the wisdom and love that you want to pass on to your child in a couple of pages in your diary and how devastating that is. And it just puts me back into the right mindset of God, how lucky I am to be alive and to have my children and to be healthy. Of course, you know, you have to also give yourself grace to to feel the feelings that you are, you know, living life and being a, you know, living, breathing woman. But 
it helps sometimes when I'm just feeling like I'm at my limit because I say, Hey, you know, my mom would give anything to, to go back to that moment of me fighting the nap or throwing the food on the ground or doing any of those things that just, you know, pick, pick at us Mm. over time. It's the, the gratitude in there. Is that, is that okay if I say it that way? That it's, and, and we know that from, for brain studies is that when you are in one of those moments of stress, tapping into gratitude actually downregulates, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And, and I think that is so like, that's the relaxation response. That's mm-hmm. that. And that is that juxtaposition, right? Yes, this is a hard moment. And I'm grateful to be here in this moment, having this, this moment. It's powerful. Yeah, right. I think too, as a mom, you also just have to sometimes, you know, crack the bottle of wine at the end of the day and realize, man, it was tough. And it's okay to have those feelings because we beat ourselves up for not being that perfect mom who loves every moment. And then of course you just see these women on the internet who post these things about, oh, I'm not one of those moms who complains about my kid. I'm not one of those moms who can't cherish every moment. And like, come on, give me a break. Every mom knows what it's like to be in the thick of it and just wanting to pull your hair out. And that's okay too. Totally. Okay. That is okay too. Yes. I, I have yet to meet that mom who says, I, I know, I know the posts are out there. I see them and I compare myself <laughs> to them, but I've yet to meet that person who says, this is always, always so great. No, just being mindful of our time. I was thinking, Alan, what are some practical ways that listeners could be proactive about their breast health? What would be your message to women listening? Number one, when it comes to breast health is doing a self-breast exam and getting to know how your body feels. That has been one of my main missions is letting women know that most people find their own breast cancer and they either do it by accident or they do it through a self-breast exam. And I know it's an intimidating thing and It's also this really strange sort of misnomer, self-breast exam sounds self-explanatory, but it's not. And so many women were just sliding in my DMs saying, hey, I know you remind me to do this every month, but I don't actually know how to do it. Nobody taught me how to do this. And so, you know, I do these uh, little tutorials online and teach women and just say, hey, this takes five minutes. You can do it in the shower. It's a once a month thing. Get to know what your body feels like. And then you know if something's off. So that is really the number one thing and being proactive. And then I would say number two, if you have the opportunity, get to know your family history because your genetics play such a vital role in your health, where you end up. And, you know, 10% of women who get breast cancer have a gene mutation. And it's something that you can find out through a 23andMe, another genetic test through your physicians. And so just taking that extra box, you know, asking your doctor if you're eligible, that's something where I say, hey, ask your family members, find out, you know, who had what, just try to be transparent with your healthcare. Thank you. I think that's so important. Ellen, I'm so grateful to have had the chance to sit with you and I'm grateful for your story. If people haven't, I'm going to link it, but your TEDx talk as well is so important. Where can people find more about you? Where can people say hello to you? Social media is always the best. I'm at Alan Rose across all platforms and it's A-L-L-Y-N. And yeah, I, I, really respond to every single message. I read every single message. So if people are interested, slide my DMs, say hi, you know, we'll follow each other. And um, it's just been really, really extraordinary having this community 
that has been created around this and, you know, women that are just cheering for each other and, and helping each other along the way. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. See you next week. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.